Well, good morning again. It's almost like I'm just taking off one hat and putting on another. Um, well, Happy New Year. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Who stayed up last night to watch the ball drop? Who made it? Yeah? Maybe 50, 60%? Nice. Nice. And so you made it here, and uh, you still got to watch the ball drop, and, and it's good. Um, we had a good Christmas last week uh, with the family. Um, you know, that week after Christmas, before New Year's, is the weirdest week, is it not? It's like... You know, it's just this time is relative and calories don't count and uh, it's okay to wear pajamas in public. You know, it's just a weird week, uh, but congrats, we made it through. And so here we are, 2023. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, we had a good Christmas with the family. Megan told me a few weeks ago about uh, the Christmas gathering that we had scheduled for her family. And she said, she told me the date and the time and she said, don't forget it. And I was like, got it. And I did not get it. And um, I think she told me a week later, she's like, don't forget, I mentioned this. It's this, it's this day, this time. And I was like, all right, got it. I'm going to put it in the calendar. I did not put it in the calendar. Then the day before, she was like, we got the thing tomorrow. We good? And I was like, why are you just now telling me? It's tomorrow. And uh, she was, she was, uh, you know, a little perturbed about that. But she was like, remember, I told you this, and you were sitting there, and I told you this, and you said that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. Um, but, you know, there's something, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about when God says things multiple times, we kind of need to listen, right? There's things that kind of pop up all through the canon of Scripture that, we, that, that kind of reoccurring themes, things that he tends to say multiple times, and so that's what we're talking about today. It's not that just that Megan knew that I'm forgetful. It's that it was important for me to understand, important for me to know about this uh, Christmas gathering. And so um, that's what I think God does with us as well through the canon of Scripture. And so that's what we're talking about today, the importance of relationships. Now, I know that the importance, the greatest, most important relationship we have is the one we have with God. Amen. But I'm talking today mostly about the relationships we have horizontally, the relationships we have with our spouses, with our friends, our coworkers, our boss, our neighbor, our kids, our parents, our siblings. All of our relationships are crucial. And I want to say today, based on what I've found in Scripture, that how we conduct ourselves within those relationships is the single most important thing about us. How we conduct ourselves, how we respond to criticism and adversity when people hurt us, the way that we respond and seek forgiveness and reconciliation, all these things are the most important thing about us. So crucial in our Christian walk is how we conduct ourselves in relationship. So today we're going to talk about three things, uh, three reasons why Scripture says relationship is important. And then I just want to give three really practical, simple things that I believe we can do to improve our relationships, and then I'll let you guys go. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are here in this room again, <clears throat> that it's a new year that you gave us, uh, that you granted us another morning, another day. God, help us to be open to what you have to speak to us this morning. 
May our guards come down. May we be ready to receive something new from you, a fresh word from you today. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I joined Facebook back in 2007, and this was back when Facebook was still mostly college kids, and you know it was mostly text and no pictures, and it was just a very different world than it is today. Um, and I still see some of those embarrassing posts that I made at 18 years old pop up, and it's like, three hours of sleep, going to my second class of the day, ugh. And it's like, you know, Lee's not as profound at 18 as he thought he was. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there, there's something on Facebook that's still there today. It's relationship status. But back then, your relationship status options were single, in a relationship, married, and then the infamous, it's complicated, right? And so I'm part of the first generation that had to learn how to navigate the awkwardness and the dynamics of dating and social media. And so if you were dating someone and things were starting to get serious, uh, you weren't really official until you were Facebook official, right? And the worst thing that could possibly happen is if you changed your status from single to in a, in a relationship before the person you're in a relationship with changed from single. And so now you're in a relationship, but there says single, and it's awkward, and you don't want to talk about it, but it's just very uh, interesting dynamics. And the it's complicated was a whole other world, right? I saw people use that as a weapon. You know, they get in a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend, and then they're like, oh, it's complicated now. And, and it, it was just a weird world that we lived in. But today, if we're honest, I think we'd all say that our relationships are it's complicated, right? It's complicated. Not that our relationships aren't good and fulfilling and the best thing about us, but truly, we are all broken, bent towards selfishness, and um, it just makes things complicated. Um, especially after the last few years after quarantine, you know, we, we experienced uh, a new level of isolation, a new level of loneliness. I was looking up statistics here uh, this is data out of Harvard that said 36% of all Americans feel a serious loneliness. Young adults are twice as likely to experience significant feelings of loneliness. It's been linked to mental health issues such as stress, anxiety, and depression, but it's even been linked to physical health issues like sleep disorders, weight problems, substance use, neurological disorders, even kidney and urological problems. I think all of this data points to the fact that we already know we are meant to be in relationship. God created us to be in relationship. We need to know and be known by others. We need to see and be seen with, by others to share our joys and our sorrows with one another and take part in other people's joys and sorrows. But still to this day, me and Megan have been married nine years, but it's like as soon as I hear something funny or I hear a good song, you know, I'm like, oh, first thought is like, oh, I'm gonna share this with Megan. I gotta let her hear this or see this, you know? And that's the friendship. That's, that's the importance of relationship. So let's see what God has to say about this. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This passage is talking about more than marriage. It's talking about a deep need with all of us to be in relationship 
with others. Even the most introverted person in the world needs community for his or her greatest health. Do you remember the time that Jesus said, take your, uh, what, what does he say? Take my burden upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word yoke, I used to think it was talking about the egg yolks, right? I used to picture that. I'm like, what is he talking about? But it's yoke. It's this wooden cross piece that is fastened across the neck of two animals and attached to the plow or cart that they are to pull. The yoke is the piece that is used to unify the two animals together toward a common goal. Do you hear me, church? This is the yoke of Jesus. Why is Jesus' yoke easy? Because it's no longer up to us to carry the workload. The burdens of life that we experience, it's no longer meant to be uh, burdened on our own, shouldered and just tried to walk a straight line and do it on our own. It's meant that we would have someone with us, a friend, a partner, a spouse, parent, child, whatever. And then he is the yoke. He is that wooden piece that enables us to do it together. Sharing life together in Christ. Sharing the workload with God in the midst. Ecclesiastes 4.12 speaks to this too. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's power with two, but then Jesus inhabits it, and then there's three, and it's not easily broken. So why? Why does relationship matter? Three things I want to talk about. Number one, God is relational. God is relational. In his very nature, he is relational, right? We know the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but the more I study the Trinity, the more confused I get. It's very confusing. But uh, there is a painting by Andre Rublev, 1425, and this beautifully illustrates the Trinity and explains it in a way that I can understand it. If they could. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so this is... We see the three figures here. They're separate, distinct persons, yet their faces are identical. And each of the three hold a staff in their hand, and that's to signify divine authority. Their eyes are gleaming to one another, signifying delight in one another. They're communicating with one another, although their mouths are closed There is conversation. There's intimacy there. The blue robes that they're wearing signifies oneness, yet they each have different colored robes on top of it, which signifies distinction. And so God in his very nature is in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are created in his likeness, in his image. Therefore, we are created for a relationship. There is a continuous reciprocal love happening in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are being invited into that relationship with him, but then also invited to a foretaste of our relationships on earth today. We get a foretaste, a glimpse of that in healthy, God-honoring relationships here on earth. Number two, why Relationship is important. The sacraments in Scripture are complete only in relationship. The sacraments in Scripture are complete only in relationship. Scripture, the formation of Scripture, and how we interpret Scripture today is so intertwined 
in community that you can't separate one without changing the other. Um, there's an idea uh, presented by um, uh, Esau McCullough, uh, a scholar. He talks about this idea that we need every voice at the table to be able to accurately and most truly interpret scripture. That I have my own experiences and my own knowledge and you have very different experiences and different knowledge and people in China and Africa and Asia, they need, we all need voices at the table to come together and say, what does this mean for us today? And yes, there's divine revelation. I'm not discounting that, but the fact is, most of the time, God speaks through study, through us doing our part. And so we come together as a community in a relationship, honestly, in open communication and say, what does this mean for us today? What about baptism? Baptism. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure and the honor of baptizing uh, the beautiful little Anna Bartneski. And uh, if you were here, you saw that I had forgotten the water for baptism. Kind of an important piece there. And I didn't realize it until I was already holding her and uh, I'd gone through all the liturgy and, and I just started looking around and realized I'd forgotten. And I saw like a half empty water bottle over on the side and I considered it for a minute and then I realized that was a bad idea. And so uh, I had to own up to my mistake there. Um, but I've been joking that I forgot the one thing needed for baptism, the one thing. But reality says, no, that's not the one thing we need for baptism. We need community for baptism. There's no such thing as choosing Christ in a vacuum, choosing Christ apart from community. The truth is that, that we draw, uh, that God draws us toward him through community. He justifies and sanctifies us in our response to our surrounding faith community. Yes, choosing Jesus is a personal decision, but it's not an individual decision. Hear the distinction there. It's not, it is personal, but it's not individual. It is through community. Communion. Communion. It's not just about the vertical relationship that we partake in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Randall Green says this about the role that uh, community plays in communion. It says, when we come forward and receive the body and blood of Christ, we are proclaiming that we refuse to be complicit with the divisive ways of the world, but that we are instead bonded in our commitment to the way of Christ. When we practice communion well, we come together as one diverse, messy, holy body that honors the image of God within each of us. The Imago Dei, the image of God within us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the relationship that we are born for, that's what we're honoring when we come together in unity and partake in communion, amen? Why is relationship important? the image of God. Two, the sacraments and, and scriptures are complete in communion, community. And number three, Jesus places priority on, wor on uh, relationship over worship. Now this was the most stunning one for me of all. I'm a worship leader, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I thought worship was the most important thing. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. These are Jesus' words. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying, if you come to worship and you remember that there is someone that's got something against you, 
that you have wronged somebody in some way, a relationship in your life is not quite right. He says, forget worship, go fix it. Go find that person and make things right. Then come back and worship. Offer your gift to me at the altar. Such wrongful attitudes must be dealt with and made right. Reconciliation between brothers and sisters must be accomplished, whether the innocent or the offending brother takes the first step. Without such reconciliation, gifts presented at the altar mean nothing. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Now, I think it's important to note that we are not responsible for other people's perceptions of us, other people's hurts. We do our job, we do the best we can to bring peace in relationships. But if we've done everything we can, everything we know to do in a relationship, and it's still not made right, sleep easy, rest, rest in peace, and, and know that, that it's okay. All right, so no, number one, God is relational. Number two, sacraments and scripture are complete in relationship, and three, Jesus places priority over relationship and worship. All right, so let's talk about three things that we can do to improve our relationships. You guys with me still? All right, good deal. Number one, be a good listener. <laughs> be a good listener. James 1, 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Michael Nichols' book, The Lost Art of Listening, if you're looking for uh, books to read in 2023, this is a great one. Michael Nichols, The Lost Art of Listening. He says, few motives in human experience are as powerful as the yearning to be understood. Being listened to means that we are taken seriously, that our ideas and feelings are recognized and ultimately that what we have to say matters. The yearning to be heard is a yearning to escape our isolation and bridge the space that separates us. So when we are good listeners, we grant the people that we're in a relationship, people that we care about dearly, that opportunity to share and to be heard and to be seen and be known and that their feelings and their opinions matter. Be a good listener. Number two, be quick to apologize and even quicker to forgive. Be quick to apologize and even quicker to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Family, God set the example for us when he forgave us of everything we're ever gonna do and everything we have ever done before. And so now we are compelled to apologize when we wrong others and to forgive when others wrong us. Something I'm just starting to learn is that the older I get, the more weight that my words carry. And I don't like it. I don't like it. And if I'm not careful with my words, I end up having to apologize more. And one thing I just personally committed to doing years ago, that is if, if, I, you, if I speak a careless word or if I hurt someone's feelings and I know it, that no matter what, I'm going to apologize. And there's something about resolving to do that that makes you hesitate before you speak carelessly, right? It, it, apologizing is embarrassing, it's difficult, it's awkward. 
And so if I know that I hurt someone's feelings or if I say something out of turn, I'm gonna have to apologize. It makes me take a step back. Be quick to apologize and even quicker to forgive. Even harder than apologizing is harder to forgive. Being willing to forgive when others hurt you. Unforgiveness and bitterness has a way of quenching the Holy Spirit and silencing the voice of God in our lives. Matthew 6, 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And number three, love one another. Real simple, love one another. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is not a fake hypothetical love out of obligation. We know love the sin, hate the sinner, you know, the whole, these platitudes that we offer ourselves. It's not out of obligation, this is a genuine love born from a common people with a common goal under the yoke of Jesus Christ. I believe that we don't just have to say, well, we love our church family, but they, we don't really like them, you know, or, or whatever. There's, there's an actual felt love that I believe that we can experience because I know that there's a sense of community that we can experience. There's a sense of community that can, can be established among the, the silliest things. Remember our Together tailgate we had back in October and we were invited to wear our uh, team jerseys? And in a sea of Titans jerseys and Vols jerseys and a few others, I was wearing my Steelers jersey and across the room, I saw Ken Snover with his one Steelers jersey. And I was like, that's my guy. That's my guy, like that's my people, you know? But I wonder if something so silly as that could get, establish a sense of community. What if we walked in the building on Sunday morning and it was just like, oh my gosh, yes, these are my people. These are the people who, I, I've been talking to God each, each day this week and they've been talking to God. Each, I've been reading scriptures and so have they. And I've seen God do this and they've seen God do that and we come together and now it's community and we get to celebrate everything that God's doing. There's a sense, there's a felt sense of community that I believe that we can have established. We don't get caught up on the minor theological differences and we allow the main things to stay the main thing. You may know that we're in a conflict-heavy time in our denomination and I would argue that what God wants more than a perfect theology is a unity and a love among all believers. Scripture says they'll know we are Christians by our uniformity of belief. They'll know we're Christians by the fact that we don't have to learn how to agree to disagree because we agree in every little thing. No, it says we'll know we're Christians by our what, church? Love. By our ability to agree to disagree on the, the minor issues in our faith. By our willingness to reconcile broken relationships inside the body of Christ and outside with other relationships. Our ability to, our willingness to be quick to forgive and even quicker, uh, to quick to apologize and even quicker to forgive. That we're good listeners. 
Sometimes I wonder how foolish our different denominations look to the unbeliever. Not that denominations are bad, don't hear me say that, but I don't think it's the main thing, right? And I wonder if, you know what, there are probably hundreds of churches in uh, Rutherford County. What if it was reversed and there were hundreds of mosques, hundreds of Buddhist temples, whatever, name a religion. There were hundreds of them. And we as Christians would look and say, why do they need that many? Don't they all worship the same God? Don't they all have the same religion? Why do they need that many? And they'd say, well, some of them believe they interpret the holy text differently than this church, so they didn't want to worship together anymore. And well, this, this pastor, this imam, you know, he, he uh, said something that hurt people's feelings, and so they went and started their own church or their own mosque or whatever. It seems kind of silly, right? And it's not denominations that are the bad thing, it's division. Division in the body of Christ was never part of the plan. And good theology is important. I'm in seminary right now, and I'm up to my eyeballs in learning what good theology is, and I love it. But the more I learn, the more I realize that the heart of theology is relationship. It's learning about God and his character and how he relates to us and how we relate to him. That's good theology. It all comes down to relationship. And my personal conviction is that if we can agree on the main things, the things in the Apostles' Creed that we just sang, right? Virgin birth, divinity of Jesus, death and resurrection. Those things, if we can agree on that, then we can do life together. We can do ministry together. We can share life together in Christ. Amen, church? Think about when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment? <clears throat> what's the greatest commandment? In other words, what's the most important teaching that we have in our faith? His answer was, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That is perfect theology. That is what it's about. It's about relationship. One of my favorite things about leading worship here is um, the communal part of it, the relationship part of it. When I was a younger worship leader, I got excited about the motions of it, the, the emotions, the, the experience of it, the feelings that I would get from the presence of God and, and seeing God break out in miracles and doing those things. I, I, that's what I sought more than anything. But now what gets me is the community, the relationship. The fact that I know your story and you know my story and that we pursue the presence of God together. That I've sung at your loved one's funerals and that you've been there with me through hard times. And we come together and we worship God. That's what community is about. That's relationship. So in closing, I know I've thrown a lot at you today. Three reasons why relationship's important. God's relational. The sacraments and scriptures are complete in relationship. Jesus places priority on relationship over worship. Three ways that we can be better in our relationships, be a good listener, be quick to apologize, quicker to forgive, and love one another. I wanna ask you, is there a relationship that's been on your mind this morning as we've been talking? Is there a relationship that's kind of bubbled up to the surface that you feel like things weren't resolved well? 
there's something in the relationship that maybe you're bitter about. Maybe you feel like you did something wrong in that relationship and you need to apologize. All I wanna offer is you an opportunity to, to respond to that and to take action. If God's bringing that to, to your mind, then I think it means something needs to be done. So we're gonna sing one more song and uh, this is an opportunity. You can come to the altar and pray about it, but I would encourage you to take action on it this morning. It's hard, it's complicated, but it's worth it. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We thank you that you seek relationship with us first and that in relationship with you, we have our relationships down here with, with, with others. God, you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of us taking action in our relationships, being humble and willing to, to forgive when it's not easy, being willing to apologize when it's not easy. It's complicated, Lord, but we know that you say it's worth it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Again, the altars are open.